inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Welcome to Radio Cade. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, and my guest today is Raho Sarami, and she is the founder and CEO of Echotex, a very interesting company that may change how the entire world handles textiles and manufacturing. Very fascinating stuff, very interesting stuff, very environmentally friendly stuff. Welcome to the show, Raho. Hi, thank you so much. So let's talk first about exactly what you're working on. I kind of teed it up there, but tell us the project you're working on now. Yeah, so Equitex is a startup company working on developing sustainable textile technologies. One of the projects that we are currently working on is sustainable coating, dyeing, and finishing of textiles. The way it works right now, the conventional textile dyeing is the method using huge amount of water and releasing large volume of wastewater to the environment, as well as large amount of toxic chemicals and fixing agents. So in our method, we remove all these toxic chemicals from the process and we use 90% less water and skin-friendly, environmentally friendly chemicals in our process. And the good thing about our method is you don't need to have any specific type of equipment in order to use our method. We can just modify and adjust the existing textile manufacturing equipment and use it with our technology. That's one of the technologies that we are currently working on, as well as we are working on sustainable bio-based Leather, as well as environmentally friendly fibers, we are trying to find alternatives to synthetic fibers. So anything sustainable, environmentally friendly regarding textile, we are working on it. And let's talk about textiles in general, and let's make it simple. If I go buy a pair of jeans, for them to get the color they get, how does that even work? How do blue jeans become blue? To make a blue jean, they need a lot of butter plus dye and chemicals because if you use dye and textile, it's not going to make your jean blue. You need to use a lot of other fixing agents to help the chemistry of the process to work. So that's the problem. And also a lot of butter. You need to have huge amount of butter to make one pair of jeans. That's the problem with the textile industry. And then after dyeing it, you don't know what to do with the wastewater from the process. So they just release it to the environment in some countries in Asia when most dyeing manufacturers are located. And there is no efficient method or cost effective that can remove these toxic chemicals or color from the environment, from the water the moment you release them to the environment. So it's really hard and costs a lot of money. Now, how much pollution are we talking about? Is the textile industry one of the greatest polluters in the world? What's the level here of pollution going on from textile dyeing and manufacturing? 
Yes, it's the second polluter after the oil industry. So we are talking about huge amount of water and air pollution. So for everyone to have these colors of pants and clothing and things they enjoy, there's a tremendous amount of pollution going on. And now you're looking at a way to improve this in an eco-friendly way. Now, I know you'd mentioned that I think your solution uses 90% less water, and we're going to walk through how this works. But right off the top is your product is what you're doing is the quality the same. I think that's what most people would imagine is a lot of times you think of something eco-friendly and you say, well, perhaps it's environmentally friendly, but what I'm going to get is not nearly as good. Are you able to dye a Essentially, that same blue jean we just talked about at the same level of quality as what's happening now? Yes. The good thing and advantage of our process is you don't lose any quality. So we are also trying to improve it even more. Right now, we get comparable results. We don't just dye indigo for blue jeans. We can also dye different colors, red, green, reactive dyes, dispersed dyes with our method. What we are trying to do is even improve the qualities because if you improve the color performance and color fixation, meaning that after you wash your jean, you don't release any dye to the water, to the drain. That's the perfect thing to do because if the color performance goes high, it means that you don't lose any dye after washing. That's the reason we are trying to even improve the color performance more than 80%. And we use 90% less butter as well as chemicals with the same results. So you don't lose any quality. You lose no quality. So I'm imagining now I'm a large textile manufacturer and what you're telling me essentially is I can produce the same exact quality garments and clothing with the same dye saturation as I would before. And I can save a significant amount as far as pollution goes into the environment. Now, cost-wise, is this going to cost me a lot more to use your solution versus what I'm doing now? So we did some cost analysis, but obviously in a very small scale, and it should not increase the cost, but we haven't done larger scale production yet. So we did some small scale production and we are trying to do pilot right now, but we haven't done cost analysis for a larger scale production. But assuming you save a lot of water and energy in the process as well as chemical. So I think you should not expect to have costs going up compared to the method that you are currently using. Okay, so in theory... We have something here that you've created that could be a solution to many problems. If I'm a textile manufacturer, it's going to wind up not costing me anything extra. I can tell the community I live in, I'm no longer going to be polluting to the significant level I am. Uh -huh. I can tell my customers down the line that we're doing this with an environmentally friendly solution. So all these things sound obviously amazing. The question now becomes, is this close to getting to market? Are you able to take this out right now and sell this? Where are you in that process? So the textile industry is very old and they have been using the same old method for many, many years. We talked to many textile manufacturers, but to get them to the point that they want to try something new is hard. It's a different industry. That's one problem. They are very suspicious of any changes they want to do in their process or in their manufacturing methods because they think it works for them, right? But it's not working for the environment, for consumers, because most of these chemicals are also not good for human health. So they can develop allergies, 
they may develop cancers in some people. So it's not working for us, but it's working for them. It's hard, but we started the conversation and we have a couple of big manufacturers that are supporting us and we are planning to do collaboration with them and also brands. Brands are also very important. They don't manufacture themselves, but they work with the manufacturers to bring the product to the market. So they are also important part of these equations. And we have a couple of brands that are also supporting us and working with us. So in terms of how fast we can bring this to the market, it's going to take some time because, as I mentioned, textile industry is a very old industry that using the same method as 50 years ago or even more. So it's hard to make changes, but it's happening. Okay, it's happening. So you're working on it. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the solution, again, sounds great. It ticks every single box. So are we years away from this? Are we three years away, two years away? Like, ideally, when would I be able to come on this podcast and say, hey, the garment that you just purchased was used with an environmentally friendly setup? How far away are we from that? We think a couple of years, maybe less than three. And that's our plan. Okay. And then speaking of that plan, what would be the hurdle that would not allow that to come to fruition? Again, on the face of it, it seems like this is doing everything better than what's happening now without really any additional cost. What would prevent this from becoming something that would be used? The problem we are facing right now is many textile manufacturers move to other countries from the U.S. And you cannot find many of them still working in the U.S. And that's the biggest problem we have because if we want to develop these and make these here in the U.S. first and then expand internationally. We found a couple of textile manufacturers here. We approached them, we talked to them. We are planning to start working with them, but there are a couple of problems here. One is like obviously convince them that you know you should try this process let's start working together second is funding getting funding is very time consuming it's like you go through different proposal writing and then approval going to the process getting the money and then also the third problem is covid before covid we thought that Right now, we have our pilot going and we are moving to larger scale production, but it's not happening right now. So these are a couple of problems we are facing, but we are very hopeful because the process works, the method works, we are getting really good results. And we are also doing what I call it, die and have functionalities at the same time. Uh, what I mean by that is we are also trying to add functionalities to our dye, meaning you can dye a garment as well as if you want to have anti-wrinkle properties or antibacterial properties, you can do it at the same time. Uh, that's why I call it sustainable textile coating, dyeing and finishing because it can save you time and also chemical and water because you do all these at one step. While you are dyeing your garment, you can also add functionalities to the process. So that's also something that I think after COVID, many people are interested to have like more antibacterial and microbial properties in medical textiles and some other textile products. 
Now, Rod, sounds to me like you've obviously thought of nearly everything when it comes to this textile manufacturing process, environmental friendliness. How did this idea come about and how did you become so interested in doing something environmentally friendly in the textile world? So when I got my master's degree in textile technology, I went to industry to where I started my internship in textile manufacture. Before that, everything was in the book, in university workshops. And at that moment, when I entered textile manufacture, like everything changed. I was like, did I just study to make this? Textile manufacturers are a very dirty old places. And when you look at that, you are like, what's happening? Why is this process so dirty and not nice? So after that, I decided this is not for me. I'm just going to go continue my PhD, do more research and work in the lab. Maybe we can change it step by step. I know it's not going to happen overnight. So that was the reason I decided to pursue my PhD and then work on sustainable textile and environmentally friendly textile technologies. And then when I started my PhD with my advisors, we decided to work on sustainable textile dyeing and finishing because majority of textile toxicity and also pollution comes from dyes and finish. That's the part that manufacturing of yarn fabrics, they also have some waste, but when it comes to dye and finish, the majority of chemicals, toxicity, everything comes to a play. So that's why we decided to start with that. But then when we developed that technology with the help of my advisors and some other researchers in the lab, we thought that we needed to bring this to the market because there are so many research going on in uh, academia, but a few of them get to the market. They are mostly for publications, patents, grant funding, but not commercialization. And so we decided to start Ecotex, and then I continued getting funding and working on that, trying to bring that to the market. And then I started thinking, how about microplastics? How about polyester? It's everywhere. We need also to have sustainable fibers, comparable properties to polyester. So that was the reason I started thinking of all these ideas and trying to make sustainable textile technologies. Another textile which is not environmentally friendly also, you know, hurting animals is leather. The process of making leather also is very dirty. So that's another project that we are planning to work and we are getting some good preliminary data. That's fantastic. And that leads me to this question. Let's look back at the childhood version of yourself. Were you dreaming of working in the textile world, in the environmentally friendly world, or what was your upbringing like? And where'd you go to school and how did that influence what got you doing what you're doing today? Yeah. So when I was very young, my dad was an engineer. I always wanted to be an engineer to make stuff. When I decided to go to school, I just wanted to go for engineering degree. I did not know anything about textile. When I got accepted, I was like, okay, this is engineering. I'm going to make stuff. It's regarding textile. Textile is nice. So yeah, I loved it. But after finishing my school and entering the industry, everything changed for me. So then I decided to do more than just be an engineer in textile industry. 
So that was the reason for all this. And what do you think led to you having this entrepreneurial, problem-solving, solution-oriented mindset? Of course, the engineering background is a problem-solving background, but your background, obviously, you came right from a foreign country, you came to America, you've pursued education, you're continually tackling these problems. What do you think led to you taking on all of these different challenges, whether it be different languages or the textile industry, et cetera? What do you think inspired you and has given you this passion to kind of continue learning and overcoming all these different challenges that one has to face to reach where you are? Yes, I always try to commit other and to do something started when I was a very child, uh, very young. But most of the time when they were not listening to me, I was trying to do it on my own. So that was the reason I started this journey. First, I was an engineer. Then I decided to become a scientist. And then after I, I we developed this process, my team member and my advisor, we were accepted for National Science Foundation I-Core program. And then during that program, they gave us funding to go and talk to, uh, to textile manufacturers. When we did that, I knew that before that textile industry is very old and it's very resistant to change. But after we talked to so many experts and people from textile industry, I was like, yeah, I think we should start our own you know, company. I should go to business. I think I should start making it. And then maybe after we do that, they see that we have something, they start working with us. And interesting thing, I went to get also my MBA degree because everybody was like, oh, you are a scientist. You don't know about business. Business is very complicated. Commercialization process is very complicated. It's not like you make something in the lab and you, now you want to bring it to the market, change all the conventional methods and everything. And then I started my MBA degree and I'm getting my degree this coming fall. So I was very always trying to get what I wanted and I was very persistent. So so what words of wisdom then do you have for others that may be following in your footsteps in all sorts of fields from the things that you have learned thus far in your life? Just try to come back with other ways. Just try. Don't get discouraged. It's hard to make change. And it's in the business as they are for many years. It's going to be harder. But if you make something, just don't get discouraged if people tell you it's really hard. It's very hard to make it happen. Just find a way. It requires you to go get another degree like me. Maybe do that too. That's a great view. You have to be resilient. You have to obviously overcome challenges and hurdles. And I can tell you from having interviewed countless people on this very program that every single one of them is going to have similar advice when it comes to overcoming difficulties or challenges or hearing the word no. And if you believe in something and mm -hmm. it makes sense and it can work, of course, you have to carry on and persevere. Well, this has been great chatting with you, Raha. Thank you so much for coming. And our guest today, our featured guest today again was Raha Sarami. She is the founder and CEO of Ecotex. And hopefully in the next few years, Raha, we'll hear about you on a big scale as you disrupt and revolutionize the textile industry. But thank you for joining the program today. Thank you for your time. On behalf of Radio Cade, I'm James DiVirgilio, and we'll see you next time. Radio Cade is produced by the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida. This podcast episode's host was James DiVirgilio, and Ellie Tom coordinates inventor interviews. 
podcasts are recorded at Hardwood Soundstage and edited and mixed by Bob McPeak. The Radiocade theme song was produced and performed by Tracy Collins and features violinist Jacob Lawson.